Hey all, before we get to the show, I wanted to thank you, the listener, for supporting the new Fight Game Media Network during our first week. And this week, we're adding our new AEW show to the feed called The Boom. James McDaniel and Kevin Eli are on the ones and twos. They join an already loaded lineup, like our WWE recap show, The Rap, our MMA show, In the Clinch, our boxing show, Pound for Pound, Write That Down with Fumi Saito and Justin Nipper, and Take It Home, our weekend show. Make sure you subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network feed and leave us a five-star review. Everyone and welcome to another episode of The Wrap right here on the brand new Fight Game Media Network. I'm Keela Cash and I am here today alongside Scott Young who was able to survive tonight's Survivor Series on Peacock, pizza and all if, if, if I'm correct, Scott, correct? Yeah, the only reason I survived was because of that wonderfully placed Pizza Hut ad because uh, I ordered some food and that was probably one of the redeeming graces of this show. Now, what kind of pizza did you order? Exactly. I did order Pizza Hut pizza, a pepperoni. Yeah, I, they got me. They, they got me. They got my money. So it, it worked. I'll, I'll so give them a pass on that. A successful product placement for Survivor Series, courtesy of Pizza Hut, despite that battle royal, which we'll get into shortly, as we would tie in the entire pay-per-view for your listening pleasure. Happy Monday morning, everyone. As we're here once again talking about all things WWE, only Survivor Series this week, as that is really the top story of the day, besides the releases that were a shadow over this particular pay-per-view, which went down on Thursday, which was covered in great detail, courtesy of John LaRocca via the Take It Home podcast which you can listen to right here on the fight game media network on the free feed right now if you choose to after you listen to this show of course but also want to hype up a big fight that went down this past saturday involving terrence crawford and sean porter an epic fight on espn plus and we have a bonus show pound for pound featuring robert silver and carlos toro exclusively on the fight game media patreon so you'll find the show links below but you can log on to patreon.com slash fight game media and you'll be able to sign up for five dollars a month five dollars for the best combat sports and wrestling and joshua reviews on the planet today from a lot of passionate content creators that give you what you need to get through every single day in case you miss something during the week. And as always, we provide a service via this free feed that gives you all that you need to get through WWE, which was a lot to get through last night via Survivor Series that went down live from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. And via the old Break It Down days, we would always assign a letter grade for this show, which we would do at the end. But let's do a quick postmortem on the overall vibe from last night's Survivor Series. So Scott, what is your quick take on this annual tradition of brand supremacy, which means absolutely nothing when the night is all said and done. Uh, my quick take is we'll get to see it all again on Monday Night Raw when they get questioned about the golden egg. Yes, Can't wait the, to infamous, do it again. <laughs> the infamous golden egg incident of 2021, because an egg, an egg, an egg oh, will boy. be the draw for tomorrow night's Monday Night Raw for reasons I do not understand. We'll find out if it's a draw. 
That is a good question because tickets <laughs> at the Barclays Center is pretty freaking low right now. And if that's going to be a hot selling ticket regarding who's got this egg, well, good for you. But I don't think that's going to really put butts in the seats regarding a fake Faberge Jay egg. But we'll get to all of that later in the show as we kick things off with the pre-show match, which was the first telltale sign of this show not really meaning a whole lot. And we've talked about this a lot on The Wrap for the last month or so regarding how this pay-per-view concept has been worn down, tired, and really insignificant for the last few years. And last year meant nothing. 2019 meant a lot with NXT. And we see how much that's changed since then. And 2018 was a disaster in terms of SmackDown getting their asses kicked. And guess what? It happened again. And it started off semi-strong for SmackDown, but the end of the night pretty much sucked as we had Shinsuke Nakamura, the reigning defending Intercontinental Champion versus Damian Priest, the reigning U.S. Champion repping Monday Night Raw. And this was a good kickoff match, but the finish left a lot to be des- desired. A lot of great counters and strikes from both men and Rick Boogs at ringside agitating Damian Priest and Priest warns him please don't play this electric guitar during my comeback I beg of thee don't do it you're pushing my buttons here and as Priest counters the armbar into a cradle Rick Boogs shreds the electric guitar one more time and this causes the Damien and Damien Priest to appear and he beats down Rick Boogs by smashing the guitar in half beating Nakamura with it as well which leads to a disqualification to kick off Survivor Series unofficially I rolled my eyes because why Nakamura has been beat repeatedly on Smackdown as of late the attack team matches against Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss and Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo in consecutive weeks and now all of a sudden you want to protect him in order to give Smackdown a little win before they get completely blown out on the main show and on top of that I'm just not feeling the Damian Priest character whatsoever right now I love the guy that was chill cool and archer the prince of darkness but now he is a bad seed replica of a guy that can snap in any moment he's rosemary's ba- rosemary's baby all grown up i'm not a fan of it i don't believe the bug eyes and the anger and the rage i'm just not buying into the presentation of damien priest the music's fine but in terms of the character work it just doesn't feel authentic coming from a guy that was so over in nxt a year ago but when something's not over in NXT, they tend to screw it up on the main roster. Isn't that right, Scott? Yeah, that is correct. And I mean, you talked about the entrance. His entrance from NXT was one of the best entrances, I thought, in the company. And they took that away. And, it's, you know, his entrance music changed. Like, his entire act is different. And as soon as this match started picking up, I mean, I, it was really starting to get good. The crowd was starting to get into it. Like, that was playing into the match and instead, they just ended the match. And you could tell it just really put the crowd on a bad note for the rest of the night, man. And it, it, it's such a shame when they they have these talented guys who can put on these great matches and they don't let them. Like, just just give us a finish right there. Even if, even if it's Damian Priest goes wild and, like you said, we've been beating Shinsuke Nakamura at this point. Why are we protecting him? Let Damian Priest go wild and just go crazy and hit a bunch of big power moves and pin him. And, and that's how you can show this rage without this cop-out DQ finish. It's just, it, it set a tone for the night, but it's just a, it's a really bad start, man, to the show. 
Yes, it was a very lackluster way to kick off Survivor Series. And I was already in a mood regarding the entire presentation of this show, and it did not help (laughs) throughout the night. The issue is you have great performances from everybody on the roster, but for whatever reason, WWE booking tends to hold everything back all the time because they get in their own ways. They don't listen to the people because Vince has this narrow mindset of what he thinks works today. And when you hear the fans, they want something completely different and they let them and they let them have it at certain points last night, which was good and bad at the exact same time. But one of the good things that came from last night's show was the opener, which was really an idea that was supposed to be set for the main event. But then they changed their minds. And when they changed their minds, you think WWE must have a surprise at the end of the show. And boy, were we wrong about that. But let's talk about the very beginning of Survivor Series. It's the highly anticipated match of the night for me in terms of the backstage heat, the drama behind the scenes, and quite frankly, the outstanding interview work from Becky Lynch this week, hitting the New York market, going on radio, hitting the press, talking about her animosity and real life beef with Charlotte Flair, blurring the lines between fantasy and reality. A lot of deep rooted issues here, but it made for a compelling match to watch because these These two are two of my favorite ladies to ever do it in WWE. They have amazing chemistry. And Scott, I want you to give your thoughts on this particular matchup, which really set the tone for the evening, at least in the beginning. So the the one thing I really just loved off the bat was they didn't come in and, and, and grab a hold. They didn't come in with a headlock. They went right into a fight. The beginning of this match was a straight-up fight. And you could tell, you know, as much as they kept it professional, there was some, when they laid them shots in, they were laying them in to make sure they were felt. And I, I thought the first, like, five minutes of this match were just spectacular. Great energy. It felt a little bit a little bit more compelling and there was a little bit more realism to this one than than some of the other matches we saw later on that night and you know there was a promo Becky cut after the match and you could tell how personal this kind of really was and you could really feel that in the match like you could feel the animosity between them where they were really not only trying to lay it in but showing each other like I am still the best wrestler like I'm still the best performer in this company and I'm gonna show you in this match and I'm gonna make sure everybody else around here shows you or everybody else in this arena knows it and sees it and I I think that lends to what you said and why they have such good chemistry is because as much as animosity as they have their goal is still to create the best match possible and I thought they had a great great match um really weak finish uh, I I get what they were going for. It was a one-upsmanship. You had two heels going in to begin with, even though I thought Becky cut a great babyface promo on Raw to lead up into this match. A uh, great video package leading into this match as well. Uh, this had a real big-time feel, and the crowd was with it. The crowd was ready for it. I I thought the the middle of the match there was enough. There was enough uh, anima, and there was enough heat between the two as far as just the way they were going at each other. And I think Charlotte Flair, man, people can say whatever they want about her. Charlotte Flair can put on a good match with absolutely, I mean, she can put on a great match with just about anybody on the roster. And that's that's not a knock on Becky, but 
I mean, we we talk about Charlotte Flair putting on good matches or compelling matches all the time. It's Charlotte Flair is always involved, and people knock her because they say she shoved down her throats, and that may be true. But she is so talented. Like, she can literally do anything in the ring. She lifted up Becky on a one-arm powerbomb like it was nothing. Like, she can do anything. She's incredible. Like, I, I thoroughly enjoy watching Charlotte Flair wrestle. So I, I, I don't take any of that for granted. Just fantastic match. But the finish was really weak. Um, I hope this isn't the last we see of this. But I don't really see how they go back to it unless one of them wins the Rumble, which they don't need. But great match, weak finish. Absolutely agree. It was a great match. A so-so finish with both of them trying to cheat to gain the advantage. And Becky Lynch grabs the ropes in the tights to win over Charlotte Flair. And it was a very heated battle throughout. I love the beginning of them scrapping and fighting for position and booting each other in the back of the head. And that shot Charlotte took to the face, courtesy of Becky Lynch's boot, was amazing. It was a stiff shot and it made it feel more realistic. The forearm shots, the chops, the slaps, several points in this match. It was slapping the hell out of each other and I dug it. Charlotte Flair going for moonsaults on Becky Lynch for near falls. Becky going for the armbar and them going for each other's finishers was also a great touch and the best part of the match was when Becky Lynch locked in a variation of the figure four leg lock and she says tap out bitch and she's slapping Charlotte. Charlotte's fighting back. It was a great moment that added that drama and intensity that we sorely needed for this bout because all the hype was around that infamous belt drop last month on SmackDown, which was highly unprofessional. And we talked about it extensively. But crazily enough, things that happen out of pocket produces some of the great moments in WWE via this match. And I would be remiss if I don't mention the fact that both ladies looked absolutely spectacular last night. Charlotte Flair. Love the little nod to China with the outfit and Becky Lynch looking amazing in red. Just everything they did, the good and evil that you really couldn't tell which was rich because of the color pattern, but you really dug how they worked together to really produce a great match despite the finish. And I honestly don't know where they go from here. She, after Becky won, she cut a very emotional promo that was not seen on the television show. They put it on WWE.com. And it was a very emotional interview about how she felt about competing against Charlotte Flair, beating her and regretting the fact that she couldn't break her arm in the process. And with some real mixed work feelings in there, she's an actress by trade before being a wrestler. So she could have worked those waterworks for effect as well. But whatever they're going through in life, I really hope they come to an understanding one day, maybe when their careers are done, that maybe you got to step away and refocus on what went wrong in this friendship because I loved their bond together. And despite their animosity and despite their heat, They produce magic together. The chemistry is unreal. And that was on full display last night. So I don't know if we got to have Oprah do a sit down interview, a red table talk of some sort to get them together once again, because whenever the four horsewomen, whenever the four horsewomen documentary drops on Peacock in the next four or five years, it's going to be a fascinating 10 part documentary covering their careers, especially the chapters revolving the friendship, the demise, and hopefully reconciliation between Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's that's what you want, right? Because like you said, they create this kind of magic. And, you know, if 
if this is what it's going to take for them to keep that magic, then let them let them keep this little animosity for now. You know, let them keep this rivalry going on. I, I honestly think there's probably going to be a little bit of closure after this match. I mean, after you go in there and lay into somebody and just really put your body on the line, because at the end of the day, they're still trusting each other with their bodies. You know what I mean? So I, I think there's probably... There has to be at least some some type of closure, you know. At this is just like any like if you get in a fight with somebody at after the fight, like especially, you know, at, at least how it used to be, you would get in a fight and that would be the end of it. You know, you'd be like, all right, that's it, it's over with, we done with it, and that would be it. And I, I have to feel like there has to be a little bit of that after this match because it was a physical match. It really was. It was a little bit of like a lot of hate, but I think there's a twinge of love because as you mentioned, you are still trusting this person with your body, with your life in a lot of ways. And this could have went sideways quickly, but the trust is still there. And thank goodness for that, which means in wrestling and in life, there is hope for something of some sort of reconciliation between the two someday. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next year, but to me, I love their friendship, but sometimes friendships are for a season and sometimes it's meaningfulness and it's specialness comes and goes, but let them know that last night they did that and they did it so well. And it was easily the highlight of the show that really gave us hope for Survivor Series. And I maintain that hope through the five on five tag team elimination match involving the men representing Raw and SmackDown. And we had... Bobby Lashley, Austin Theory, let's see who's also um, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins versus, let's see here, Happy Corbin, Sheamus, Jeff Hardy, Drew McIntyre, and King Xavier Woods. A lot of men to keep up with for this match. I thought it was good, and the finish was great um, in involving Jeff Hardy and Seth Rollins. And you hear the fans rooting for Jeff Hardy. You hear that energy from the Barclays Center that despite how this man is pushed and how he's booked, they still love him. They have hope for him to win the big one eventually in this tenure in WWE. But we kick things off with Kevin Owens straight up walking away from his team. He's not going to be a team player. He bolts. He gets counted out. And Xavier Woods kicks off the match against Austin Theory instead. And from there, this is a pretty even battle. Jeff Hardy gets in there at one point as well goes after both Finn Balor and Seth Rollins and poor Theory is getting chopped down by McIntyre, Sheamus and everyone at one point as well. But our first elimination comes via Finn Balor delivering a coup de gras to Happy Corbin after a parade of finishers, double knees courtesy of McIntyre and Seth Rollins at one point. Also, we had a great belly-to-belly suplex courtesy of Drew McIntyre to Bobby Lashley which set up Finn Balor getting that first pinfall in the match against Corbin. Woods gets in there next, cleans house, but he is taken out, courtesy of Bobby Lashley, with a spear and the hurt lock. Next up is Lashley and McIntyre fighting to a double countout. So three countouts in one match so far. Not very fun. Both men got counted out for kicking too much ass at Survivor Series. Then it boils down to Sheamus and Jeff Hardy working together against Finn Balor. Seth Rollins and Austin Theory, and it was a really fun battle for a bit. Sheamus, to me, has been one of the greatest performers in WWE this entire calendar year, putting in that work, and he broke kicks Finn for the win. And then moments later, after Sheamus and Jeff Hardy worked together, did a little poetry to, in motion with both men in the ring involving Theory and Finn Balor. We have them doing the double forearms to both men as well. But then Sheamus gets rolled up courtesy of Austin Theory after Finn gets knocked off the apron courtesy 
of Seth Rollins and Sheamus flips on Jeff Hardy with a clothesline and he hits Theory as well. And eventually Hardy recovers after a two-on-one beatdown and takes out Theory with a swanton bomb. And then it comes down to Seth Rollins and Jeff Hardy, as I mentioned at the top of this review, and the fans are going crazy. They want Jeff Hardy to win. They're chanting for everything he does. Hits a twist of fate on Seth Rollins, goes for the swanton bomb, but unfortunately... Seth Rollins gets the knees up and he hits the stump a short time later to pick up the win and become the sole survivor for his team at Survivor Series. And it was a good match. But when you listen to the fans once again in Brooklyn, they were rooting for Jeff Hardy. He always gives the fans hope despite how he's booked. But at the end of the day, Seth Rollins is the number one contender for Big E's WWE Championship. And therefore, he had to win the match to stay strong. But sometimes listen to what the people want to see sometimes because the guy's popular. He's over and give them something to be happy about instead of going after that hill heat, which can only do so much at the end of the day. Yeah, I I agree with you. I <clears throat> I thought this this match was it was solid. You know, it was it was good. I thought the middle kind of lagged a little bit. I love the ending. Uh, I Seamus, man, I think he's got another solid baby face running him uh, because he does what a lot of these newer guys on the roster, and you can just see the difference. He's, he took a little bit of a dead crowd and was able to get them back engaged, get that energy back flowing when he even hinted at a little bit of a baby face run, you know, or a babe, just acting like a baby face during the match. Um, him getting Jeff Hardy to do the 10 beats with him, like little things, like he knows how to do the little things to get the crowd on his side for this match. Um, so I, I, I love what you said about Seamus. He, he has been an underrated workhorse for the company. You know, I, I personally, the way they were setting it up, I thought they were going to go all the way with Austin Theory. I knew Jeff Hardy was going to be the one to lose at the end because, like you said, they they build him up and give you all this hope that Jeff Hardy is going to finally pull off this big win, and he never does. Uh, but I, I thought they were going to have Austin Theory be that last man standing and get the big victory over Jeff. And I think it would have been a huge win for Austin Theory if he was able to do that. I understand why you have Seth Rollins win. So now we got a big victory heading in to his feud with Big E coming up and you know he can kind of gloat a little bit when we get to the main event we'll talk about that but it's there's just some baffling decisions that go on you bring up the three DQs the three count outs and especially with Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre they took out a lot of star power at like early on in this match like people you wanted to see how they were going to do how they were going to fare who was going to eliminate who and I get you want to protect people but Sometimes some people just got to take a loss. Like you can have Bobby Lashley take six finishers from everybody. You know, he can just take a finisher from everybody. And that's more than enough to protect him and taking a pinfall. Like people would understand why he took a pinfall. If he took a Claymore, you know, and then he took a frog splash, then he took a coup de gras, then he took one more Claymore. I think people would understand and be a little forgiving if he wasn't able to get up after a three count. So I think WWE has got to start getting away from this. We got to protect everybody and just start making booking decisions and not book 50-50, but you just... 
you got to just book people strong and run with guys. So until they start doing that, we're going to run into this problem, any type of multi-man elimination match, because they're going to want to protect people. Um, but then the finish was, like you said, I, I the finish was good. They have to be building to Jeff Hardy, getting some type of big victory soon, whether it's like a U.S. title or some type of huge victory has got to be coming his way because they're just teasing the fans at this point. Yes. And at this point, you can't be tone deaf, but knowing WWE, you never know. And I know they have this kick that you can't be over 40 these days. We can't push older stars. And I understand that. I don't think that you need to have older stars as your champion necessarily, but they're always a bridge to something regarding your future and that they still have value to get over in a big way. And Jeff Hardy is a prime example of that. He can chase the championship. Should he win it? Maybe not, but give him equity as someone that can make someone at the end of the day that's what fans want to see they want to see a guy that has built up a great legacy for himself and in 2021 gets by far the biggest reaction in this match because he's Jeff Hardy and the people still believe in him lean into that a bit more don't be afraid of it because there's always this idea of we know what the fans want but do you truly listen do you see what we see do you hear what we experience when we see a guy like Jeff Hardy get over. And even though it wasn't meant for him to win, can you please build him up as a guy that can be a threat for a championship? Should he win it? Maybe, maybe not. But let him be a bridge for the future that people can buy into and believe because the people still love this man, despite how he's booked every Friday night. We'll get back to the show in just a minute, but I wanted to let everyone know about Fight Game Media Network Plus. If you enjoy the Fight Game Media Network, check out Fight Game Media Network Plus at patreon.com front slash fight game media. We have three specific Patreon-only shows, and we'll soon have monthly bonus content from the show you're listening to right now, and it's just five bucks a month. So if you want to support your favorite podcasts on the network, go to patreon.com front slash fight game media and you'll get more content than you can shake a stick at. He's he's the he's the ultimate underdog right now in WWE in that he can if he pulls off an upset win, everybody will buy into it. So I I think I agree with you. I say you run with it. I think he's due. Why not have him have one more last title run? It doesn't have to be long. He can win it, have a a, a WrestleMania story, one last run and then lose it. You know, on the next pay-per-view. But yeah, he I think he should 100% have one last main event run. And you could even build it with like a surprise type Royal, Royal Rumble type win. Absolutely. And speaking of Battle Royals, before we actually get to the Pizza Hut Battle Royal, I do want to mention this backstage segment involving Vince McMahon, the Cleopatra Egg from Red Notice, starring The Rock on Netflix, by the way, and Roman Reigns, who enters Vince's office. And Vince, who you can hardly hear throughout the night backstage, talks about this egg being worth $100 million. And your cousin debuted 25 years ago at Survivor Series. And how does that make you feel? And Roman's like, well, I expect $100 million in my next contract extension. And he walks away. That is a total boss move. But the one thing I cannot forgive regarding this egg before it gets hijacked later in the show is when Vince rose in the arena in the limousine. And thankfully, the crowd was turned down. And understanding what we've been through as fans this entire year regarding cuts every other month, sometimes every two weeks. And you have this guy 
come out of the limousine with this goddamn egg and the people, the employees, the superstars in the back are clapping and applauding and worshiping him. The optics of this really got under my skin for all of the wrong reasons because I'm wondering to myself, will any of you survive the year at this point? Because none of you are safe despite your applause. I hate to say it, but it's true. I think that might have been why they were applauding. They were just like so thankful that they were still there that night. So they were like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, But yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Like what what type of... What was going through his mind when he thought it was a good idea for him to not only show up with a golden egg, but to show up in a round of applause? And let's not forget, when he pulled out the egg, he told them to applause and he told them to do it louder. He was telling them to get louder. Like, what is going on, man? Like, (laughs) I'm baffled by what I saw tonight. This this golden egg and Vince McMahon who, you know, he's just, he doesn't have that energy, man. He doesn't have that same spark that he used to have. Like there was like a, just a fire that was always lit under him. Anytime you saw him on screen, it's just, it's not there anymore. The light is dim. It was really sad watching him in that empty arena last year, celebrating 25 years of Triple H and WWE and the spark this guy had is gone. And the hero worship was really annoying to me, knowing what we know as fans like this can no longer pass the sniff test. I don't think any fans in Brooklyn, you might have some fans, certain cities cheer for Vince when he comes out, but you know, the game now, you know, the score and for him to tell his employees, please clap louder and knowing full and well, if you don't clap too loud, you might be cut for not clapping the loudest during this segment. And the fact is, it's not a storyline. It's real life. And it sucks to have all of these hardworking men and women on pins and needles, just afraid to pick up a phone because you don't know if it's a text message saying you're cut or a mass alert saying, oh, guess what? Your coworker, he or she is gone now as well. It's just a very pressure cooker situation in WWE. And to have the audacity to display that last night for us to see was equally insulting, but a middle finger to say, fuck you. I can do what I want. Who can stop me? Hey, I I can't. I couldn't have put it any better. I couldn't have put that any better. (laughs) Just saying. I mean, that's basically what it was. And that leads into the Pizza Hut Battle Royal of 2021. We had pizza everywhere. And why wasn't this on the pre-show? No offense to the 25 men involved in this match. And I was praying, Scott, so hard that, okay, for the first time in years, we don't have those stupid red and blue t-shirts wrapping around SmackDown. And sure enough, 25 (laughs) fucking t-shirts are on display, which shattered all of my hopes and dreams that we have evolved from this. Yeah, I, I um, I'm not surprised. I, it, like, what, what is going on with the, like, what is with the T-shirt? At, at least I will say this: at least they put the t- the channels on the back. So at that least maybe <laughs> maybe there is some type of you know they can at least try to play it off as you know we're with Fox. You know we're not just SmackDown. We're with Fox, but. Yeah, I, you know, t- the t-shirts are cool. At least Ricochet decided to take his off for his big moment with Omos. <laughs> you know, that that's good. At least he was like, let me let me at least look good for my big moment. 
oh, and what a moment it was. And I have to respectfully list the people in this match because I'm respectful that way, despite the <laughs> trash nature of this battle royal. A Royal Rumble, this was not, but we had Omos, Drew Gulak, R-Truth, Otis, T-Bar, Cedric Alexander, Chad Gable, Eric, Umberto, Ivar, Jenna Mahal, Shelton Benjamin, Angel, Shanky, Mansoor, Robert Roode, Dolph Ziggler, Sami Zayn, Commander Aziz, AJ Styles, Apollo Crews, Angelo Dawkins, Cesaro, and Montez Ford. And let's cut straight to the chase. Who cares about these eliminations? I don't care. You don't care. Let's cut straight to the finish. It's Omos, and as you noted, it's Ricochet. And Ricochet says, fuck this t-shirt. I'm going to be me. And for 30 great seconds, the fans had hope. Let's go Ricochet, someone we can actually get behind and the height of irony. Think about this, Scott, for a moment. Vince has a kick for big, tall dudes and the fans in Brooklyn did not cheer for the big, tall dude. They wanted the fighter, the scrappy, the high-flying Ricochet to win the whole thing. And guess what WWE did? Omos tosses Ricochet's ass out of that ring, wins a meaningless battle royal, does not even get the Pizza Hut pizza, the Street Profits, in COVID times, throws pizza slices into the crowd during COVID times, despite full vaccination at the Barclays Center. Fuck germs and all that stuff. Just eat this pizza out of this box we're throwing to you. And Omos gets nothing but a victory. And AJ Styles is happy for his guy because even though I got eliminated, thanks to Omos, with some help, at least at the end of the day, my guy won. And guess what he gets? Absolutely nothing because brand supremacy means nothing. I mean, they couldn't, they, they could have at least said he gets like some pizza. Like, why wouldn't you just say he gets like the pizza? And then even though they took his one box, there was like three other boxes at the top of the rim, but he couldn't get up there before they grabbed the other three boxes. Like what's going on with that? And a couple other things you talked about these people throwing this pizza into the crowd. The worst part is you talking about them throwing it into the crowd. I guarantee the people in the crowd ate that pizza. So, you know, as 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 nasty as the, as Montez and Angela were for throwing it, I guarantee there were nastier people over there eating it. I, I guarantee it. And they chanted, we want pizza throughout they, this match. And they, and they got their Sammy wish. Sammy gave it to him. Sammy gave it to him quick. Too. He threw one fast at him. Oh, well, this, uh, yeah, this, this was what it was. I, I thought, again, this goes to show like guys, when you, when you build to a moment, like you had the ultimate underdog versus the giant and people were interested. They were like, all right, we know Ricochet can realistically do this because he's the, one of the best high flyers in the world. Let's see what he does. And you don't even really let him do anything. Like Ricochet should be dodging, ducking, jumping to the top rope, flipping over him. It should have been about two minutes of cat and mouse and him maybe getting Omos one leg over. You don't have to even lift the other leg. That's realistic. We can believe that. But you end it as soon as we get the, again, soon as we get the crowd invested and ready to go for another two minutes, you end the match. Like, and that seemed to be the theme. As soon as like the crowd was ready to kind of take it to that next level, they wanted to end the match. On the other hand, I really liked what they did with Omos. Like I, I've liked almost everything they've done with Omos as far as his presentation, 
the way he's been, uh, the way they have him wrestle, the way he's been booked. I, I've loved everything about what they've done with him, and they've protected him. I thought he was probably a little overexposed in this match. Like, this was way too long for him to be doing the same thing to everybody. He did literally did the same thing to everybody. Way too much of that going on. So I think besides him being overexposed, I, I liked what they did as far as him being dominant, but way too long and this should have been on the pre-show no question especially i thought the whole point of this was to have the rock show up and he didn't even show up so this should have been on the pre-show absolutely and when they dropped the battle warrior news on smackdown and Sami Zayn wanted to win like we thought to ourselves okay the rock battle royal he shows up rock bottom sammy it's a great night right and then we move the main event of the show revolving around Roman Reigns and Big E and you would think with all the hype and all the videos something will happen involving the great one we'll get to that later but WWE has has a lot to answer for but the most startling thing about this matchup regarding the exposure of Omos not being a great worker is the fact that you have Commander Aziz Omos and Shanky in the ring these fans don't care and on top of that in the last year, less than a year, you've lost the Big Show, you've lost Mark Henry, you've lost Kane as these three guys that were dynamic big men in WWE. And if these dudes are your future big men, you got problems because they're green and they don't have that uniqueness that makes them stand out as good workers. At least Mark Henry, Kane, Big Show, they were good workers. I can't say that for these giants they have lined up today. No, I, I think that's a great point. And I wouldn't even put these guys on par with a Braun Strowman. I mean, if you if we're being honest about it, um, like none of them are, are even close to Braun. And I wouldn't put Braun on the same class as the Kane, Big Shows and Mark Henry. So, yeah, there's 100 percent something to that. And Omos is as close as they come and he's not ready. And this match clearly showed that um, uh, Shanky. He, I mean, him tossing the Viking Raiders over just was like, what's going on? They look like they could toss him over with one arm. So one of the things I've been saying about the releases and just who they're letting go is they don't have the guys ready or even the girls ready to replace the people they're letting go. Like you need to have, that's like, that's like quitting your job and not having a job ready. Like you, you can't be letting go of these guys, these big guys. And you try to bring up these other big guys because they're younger and bigger or have a different look when they're not ready. You can't keep letting go of what you don't have. It's, it's, it seems to be the thing that they're doing when they, they don't have the guys ready. And the worst thing, Scott, is the fact that they have this antiquated mindset thinking that big dudes are the ticket that's going to get fans to care. And I think as fans over the last 15 or so years or more, it's not about size anymore. It's about guys that can work. And if you're big and you can work, it's a bonus. But if you cannot do the bare minimum, then we as fans are not going to buy in. We might pop for the power spots, but the reality is we have evolved from the land of the giants in WWE and WWF over the last 30 plus years. And until Vince understands that, he's going to keep doing this and you're going to get and you're going to keep getting the same reaction of people say it's cool for a moment, but we don't buy this person as somebody that can get over meaningfully and you think about it, Mark Henry, he was in the system since 1996 and he really did not hit his stride until 15 years later. Do you want to wait 15 years for Omas and Commander Aziz and Shanky to finally get it? 
I don't think they have that time, especially when they're cutting people with little regard for patients at, at this point. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think that's all spot on because um, you you don't know what's going to make somebody tick. Like it, it took Mark Henry really finding that that hall of hall of pain gimmick to get going. Um, and, and even like a like a Braun Strowman, that took him about two, three years. Kane. Now, Kane's is kind of an anomaly. He came in. He was bang, bang, ready to go. Um, you know, he that was a little bit different. But you don't you don't have guys like that all the time. Guys like that don't come around that often. And as you said, these guys are not them. They're not ready. Big guys nowadays are like a Bobby Lashley, you know, um, or if you want to go like a like a um, uh, Lance Ho- Lance Hoyt Lance Archer. He's you know that's that's kind of what the big guy mold has to be. You still got to be able to move, jump, drop down. Keith Lee. Those are what the big guys are now. Like, and if you can't Dominic Dijakovic, like those, that's what you have to be able to do to be a big guy in the ring nowadays. Or you, you can have one like an Omos, but you can't have three of them in the ring together when they don't know what they're doing. Absolutely. And we've cut a Keith Lee already, which tells us all we need to know about WWE not understanding what you have when it's there. Same with Braun Strowman. And that was probably the most shocking cut of the year in terms of who he was and what he was doing a month ago, chasing after the WWE championship. And we hope the best for everybody that was in this match last night. But it's rough to be a big man in WWE with very limited experience and a guy that has a very short fuse for improvement. Because at any time, we keep saying it, your number might be up. And that's not shade, it's facts, unfortunately. Which segues into our next champion versus champion match. The Usos reigning defending SmackDown tag team champions against RK-Bro, the reigning defending Raw tag team champions. And this was a match of moments that had the crowd in and out. Every time that Riddle was in charge, he would get props. And then when he gets beat down, the heat cools down a bit. Randy Orton gets in there. He's hot for a bit, taking out both Usos with belly back suplexes on the announce table at one point before he's isolated away from Riddle once again. Riddle gets back in the ring and he takes out the Usos with T-bone suplexes and kicks and sentons until Jey Uso gets those knees up to block the last Broton attempt courtesy of Riddle. And Riddle gets beat up again for a bit. And at one point we have Jimmy Uso, the legal man, going up top to hit a frog splash. But unbeknownst to Jimmy, Riddle was able to make his corner in the nick of time before getting taken out with a super kick and a Samoan drop. He's able to make the hot tag to Randy Orton and easily the highlight of the match and one of the best spots of the night as Jimmy's flying up top. Randy Orton from out of nowhere hits an RKO in midair to Jimmy Uso as he's in splash mode and he picks up the win. The fans go crazy. That's easily the highlight of the night. And I'm quickly thinking to myself on Friday night, SmackDown on Fox, Roman Reigns is going to lock the door to his dressing room as the Usos have a lot of explaining to do as to why they lost at Survivor Series last night. But I thought this was a fun match, had its moments, but it, it dragged a bit until the finish. Still one of the best stories in WWE so far this year. RK Bro, um, Randy Orton. It's it's still fascinating to me that he's able to come up. Well, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's him, but whoever's able to come up with these still creative, different finishes for the RKO. Like, we've seen it 
come off of a dive or a springboard, but to see it come off of a dive while the person is actually hitting the splash on somebody. I don't think I've ever seen an RKO like that. And I would like somebody to please correct me and tell me where, if that is happening, because I've never seen it where he's catching them while the person hits the dive on somebody. I just, just great timing, great spot. And for once, I will applaud WWE. There was a good camera angle, a good camera shot to actually capture that. Um, I, I think Matt Riddle is a guy, I think he's going to, whenever him and Randy have their eventual breakup and feud, I think Riddle's going to be the next big main event guy for WWE. I think the fans are are ready for it. Like I think he's kind of he's building that connection. He's building that goodwill with the fans as far as the in-ring work. I think people are seeing how good he is. Like they like people like him. The crowd likes him. And you know you know Orton's going to turn on Riddle at some point and they're going to eventually clash. I think Riddle is really going to take the next step. I think 2022 man it should be a good year for Riddle. I, I see big things from him. This match was really good. Um, the Usos continue to have another fantastic year as a tag team. Jay Uso in particular is just um, from his singles run a couple or from the last year and a half to him being back in this tag team. He's he's been doing some of the best work of his career these last couple of years, I think personally. Um, especially now he's with the bloodline. He's a main event guy. I, he's a main event guy to me more so than than Jimmy is. You know, I I I would buy him more so than Jimmy, um, and that's just because of the work he put in. But yeah, great match, great finish. This RKO will be played for a long time, and again, I expect big things from Riddle. Um, cause I just, I, I can feel it with the crowd with him. Like there's something, there's a connection there. Absolutely. And I love the two storylines playing into Ron Smackdown because you got RK bro. They're getting along right now. Orton and Missy cares about Riddle as a tag team partner this past Monday on Raw. We know eventually Orton is going to betray Riddle. It's going to be a great Monday Night Raw moment when they lose the titles, which will build to, a, to which will build to a match at WrestleMania. And WWE shown great patience regarding this feud. You take your time, you build them up. They win the championships at SummerSlam, and from there, it's been a pretty good run. They need some fresher opponents, I will say that, but at least the storyline of where we're going makes sense. As for the Usos. I do love the fact that Jimmy keeps eating elves and that allows Roman to get more and more agitated because I still believe in my heart of hearts that Jimmy Uso realizes despite being gaslit, I'm not really feeling this Roman Reigns bloodline tribal chief thing. I came back here. I said I was nobody's bitch. I stand by that. And here I am trying to toe the line. And this guy keeps coming for me every week as if I don't have a brother that is equally responsible for my downfall regarding taking these losses sometimes. Where was he to bail me out of trouble? But... I just love the fact it continues that ongoing drama because eventually Jimmy turning on Roman would have to be the story heading into WrestleMania, especially when you add in Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman doing double duty as well, working for, for which side we do not know. But I love how you just don't know when Jimmy's going to snap on Roman after being disrespected so many times. It's a really good, uh, uh, really good call and really good eye on picking up on the Jimmy Uso thing. Um, I, I do wonder if that will play into things because 
if if you do want to have the rock back i maybe the rock doesn't want a singles match but you could maybe you do a tag match with jimmy and the rock versus roman and jay and that way you can have jimmy kind of carry the match for the rock and he can really just come in for the hot tags and some of the big spots which is something you could do and that way you can kind of even push off the roman rock match for another year or so just by having that match i mean just an idea that you could throw out but especially because i i like what you the idea of of jimmy kind of taking these l's and you know building it up to eventually him being like yo i'm tired of this i already told you what it was from the beginning i tried to buy in it's not working let me get the big big dog you know what i mean talking about the rock i i think that story would write itself i really like that that is a great, great idea. Hopefully it happens. We thought something of that effect would happen last night, which we'll get to shortly, because that is going to be probably the meat of this discussion regarding last night's Survivor Series. But I do want to get into the 515 Survivor Series elimination match for the ladies from on SmackDown. We got Bianca Belair, Carmella, Queen Zelina, Liv Morgan, and Rhea Ripley against Natalia, Shayna Baszler, Tony Storm, Shotzi, and Sasha Banks. Scott, Give me your thoughts on this match because I know I have thoughts of my own regarding some of the crowd reactions throughout. So as far as the match goes, this match was probably about, I think it was like 25 minutes long, 24 minutes long. It was about 12 minutes way too long. I think the, the they wanted to get to the point at the end where we get Bianca versus uh, the the three ladies, uh, Shayna, Natalia, and Shotzi, where she has to make the big comeback. And I, you know, I'm all for Bianca getting, you know, the big win and stuff. But you got to be, you got to be logical when you're, when you're doing this stuff. And I'm fine with Bianca getting the win, but you have Liv Morgan taking these losses and you've been building her up to be a challenger for Becky Lynch, who just won one of the biggest matches on the card. So she comes off a huge win and you're going to have Liv Morgan just come off a random pinfall in this match. It wasn't even like a big spot or nothing. When she like wasn't like she took out a couple people and then took like three finishes. She just got taken out. And then on top of that, Rhea Ripley, who should be one of the cornerstones, you know, I, I think on, it, Rhea Ripley and Bianca shouldn't even be on the same brand. One should be running one brand. One should be the top baby face on the other brand. These two should be your 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 cornerstones that you're building your women's division around because it can't be about the four horsemen all four horsewomen all the time. You know you've got them. They're established. They're great. They can always do good things. You got to start building the future, and those two is where you start. And they. Like Rhea should be getting a lot more love than what she's getting. She should be protected the way they're protecting Bianca. Why not just have them two be the final two survivors and just have them plow through people? People would buy that. People would be for that. People want, and people wanted to see the Bianca Sasha thing. And every time they would try to get it, they would take it away. And then what we saw, like Zelina Vega, some of the stuff we saw was just not very good. And I don't think the crowd, I don't think they deserve what the crowd was doing. Like, cause some of the, some of what we got was actually really good and the crowd wasn't buying it. And I, you know, the CM Punk chants and all that stuff, like they, people do realize that that's not helping anything. Like that doesn't help the performers like that. That's not, I get you're trying to send a message, but what you're doing is in the eyes of management and stuff. What they see is, oh, these particular women or these particular men, they can't keep a crowd. That's what it that's what that, you know, shows the people in the back. 
because that's what's gonna that's who's gonna receive you know the the brunt of that. That's who's gonna have to heal the hell for that for that type of reaction for them doing the wave and whatever the hell else was going on in the crowd during the match. It's like you know, I, I get you're upset, but like I don't, I don't know if that's what's gonna help in this day and age, especially during a match like that when the when they were really trying to put in some good work and the match quality wasn't that bad, but the crowd really took away from the match, uh, except for a few s- spots where you got Sasha and Bianca in there here and there, but it, I, I didn't think it was a very good match. The way you hit the nail on the head regarding the crowd reaction and what management thinks, that is it. That is it in every sense of the word because, yeah, you can check out on this match. Yeah, you can do the wave. You can chant for CM Punk. You can do whatever. Now, they were smart enough not to do that shit when Bianca Belair and Sasha was in there. They stopped. They were very respectful. But here's the issue that you mentioned eloquently, by the way, in that if you do this, We had these discussions on the wrap, on the paid tier, about a month ago regarding the presentation of the SmackDown Women's Division. They got no time. Their matches were cut. There were no forward progressing storylines. The Queen's Crown Tournament was a disaster. When you do stuff like this in terms of chanting for CM Punk, who's not in this company anymore, he does not want to be back. You can watch him on Wednesdays on Dynamite, or you can watch him on Rampage on Fridays, or every pay-per-view quarterly from AEW. But the fact is, your reactions of you not caring about this match, it sends a message to management who is very fire happy these days. Oh, these ladies not getting over? Well, we can cut them before the new year. And I don't want to hear any crying, any complaining, any bitching if that happens, because what you say out loud is a reflection of what they might think in the back. And this is also in WWE because it's a give and take relationship in that You make Survivor Series mean absolutely nothing. What are these 10 ladies fighting for? We got Team SmackDown turning on Sasha Banks. We have Bianca Belair being the sole survivor. That's great for her. It should have happened last year because now you're trying to build up Liv Morgan for Becky Lynch. And she gets unceremoniously pinned by Bianca Belair. Not Bianca Belair, my apologies, but Sasha Banks. And what? is that? How do you get her over as a legit contender for Becky Lynch? Because now Becky has more ammo to say, oh, by the way, you can't win when it counts again. And that's a good storyline. But you have to give Liv Morgan a level of credibility that makes sense. And if you want to protect Bianca Belair, have Dewdrop attack her to keep that storyline going on Monday Night Raw and have Liv Morgan be the sole survivor for her team if you're trying to get someone over. The same thing by not protecting Rhea Ripley. She can be a powerhouse right alongside Bianca Belair on Monday Night Raw, but you're not treating her with that level of respect. So when you come into this match without a clear mindset of what you're trying to do and you have infighting and you have no purpose, no meaning, no passion behind this match, despite the hard work these ladies are putting in, it is easy for the fans to check out by chanting what they chanted, but at the exact same time, be prepared for those consequences when WWE listens to what you have to say on that certain occasion and say, let's cut the time for the ladies. Let's not care so much about the championships. Let's cut some more people. Let's gut an already dead tag team division for the ladies. Let's cut pieces that actually can add value to these shows 
windows because what you did last night, because that is a reflection of how they view things, unfortunately. So you got to be very mindful what you put out there because it comes back to bite us in the ass as fans. And we can't complain when WWE does shit like this, which they tend to do on a regular basis. Yeah, and I, I do want to say one more thing about the match. That Sasha, the Sasha Banks elimination was one of the. I hate to bag on this match, but it just the Sasha Banks elimination was just not good. I don't understand if if they wanted to like why not just have them beat her up and just keep hitting, just keep pummeling her outside the ring instead of her being in the ring, having her body in the ring, and the ref not stop the count and then pull her out. Like I. little stuff like that is just you know that's those are the type of things where you just change a couple things and and everything will work out better like you take 10 minutes off the match and you put Bianca where she is this match is a whole lot better to digest and to take in like I thought Tony Storm looked good but that's completely lost in it nobody will remember that Tony Storm had two eliminations and got to look dominant for for the most part throughout the match nobody's going to remember that because it's lost in the shuffle. It's all lost in the translation. All they're going to remember is the bad elimination, the crowd reaction, and Bianca won. Nobody's going to talk about that. And that's a problem. Because these are matches where you try to get people over, where you establish newer talent. You know, you can give them a couple pinfalls in one night and they can be like, oh, look at this guy. He must be on, or look at this girl. She must be on the big things after this pay-per-view. And this time it got lost in the shuffle. And that's a shame because I'm a fan of Tony time. Me too. And she had a great showing. But as you mentioned, you don't remember it that well because look what happened for the rest of the match. And that's more of an indictment on WWE, more so than the hard work the ladies put on for 20 plus minutes. And it could have been shaved by at least 10 to really make these eliminations make more sense and to avoid the pushback from the fans, which was really disrespectful. And it's just a bad look when we know things are very tense these days and we talk about equality for the ladies, we talk about equal time and making sure they receive it on television. But when you do stuff like this, we get the two-minute matches. We get matches completely cut from the show because of stuff like this, because of what you say. Please don't speak it into existence because then we have this debate about why the ladies are undercut once again because you rejected a match. But it's also on WWE to make Survivor Series mean something. And that has not been the case for a very, very long time. It's a give and take relationship and you have to give us something to care about to avoid a backlash like this moving forward. And now, yes. And now it is time for our main event of the evening. And this was supposed to be a sign of possibly a surprise of some sort. After four hours of professional wrestling from WWE, I want to be fair to say, and we had six matches plus one on the pre-show. All night long, we're talking about a fake-ass Cleopatra golden egg that belongs to The Rock from Red Notice and is being promoted extensively on Peacock even though the movie's on Netflix, but hey, the money pays, right? (laughs) (laughs) The money pays, right? (laughs) That is hilarious. That is hilarious. It's not even a Peacock movie. That is great. It is a Netflix film, just like those zombies from earlier this year. That is not a Peacock production. That is a Netflix gig. And you're promoting Netflix, not only at Survivor Series, but on tomorrow's Monday Night Raw as well, And USA Network is owned by NBC and Comcast, which owns Peacock. So 
what great promotion for a movie that you don't even get to distribute on your platform. But that's besides the point. The point is, after highlight after highlight after highlight of The Rock debuting as a virus series, having great moments against Vince McMahon, against John Cena at WrestleMania nearly nine years ago to his debut on Fox for SmackDown two years ago in L.A., you would think after all of this hype and anticipation, there is a reason why at the 11th hour times two, they moved Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair from the main event originally to the start of the show. And you have Biggie, WWE champion versus Roman Reigns, WWE Universal champion back in the main event spot. So fans are thinking to themselves, well, there must be some sort of surprise at the end. So many Rock teases. Maybe he really caught that red eye from Australia, from Young Rock, and showed up to do this show. But in the meantime, we're going to try to enjoy this match, despite how long it is, and hope that a surprise happens. So, Scott, please tell us what happened during this match. And let's hope at the end of it, we got a surprise of some kind in the Rock variety. Can you please offer the dear listeners out there hope that we got a surprise after sitting through a show for four and a half hours. Uh, yeah, we got a surprise. All right. Um, we, we, we definitely got the surprise of no surprise. Um, I, and I, and I, I, I will say this before I get to the, the surprise of no surprise. This, this definitely had a big time feel, big match feel to it. Uh, Big E felt like a main eventer coming out, which is which is really important. I thought he came off and looked, presented, carried himself like a top guy. But I'm a I, man. I, I when Roman comes out, when his music hits, there's just a buzz in the arena. the The vibe changes. The music fits like the tone of what he tries to set as this kind of dominant, you know holier thou than you know holier than thou type character he is you know this bigger than life character so his whole entrance presentation works perfectly the match is very strong really good match uh i don't think big e has gotten the credit that he probably deserves as a singles worker um especially putting in some of the work he has in main events lately on raw um and now with roman reigns here in this main event i mean just just a fantastic match i thought really strong the crowd started really buzzing into it uh big e had a couple spots where he would eat a few moves go down for a second one really cool spot in the match towards the end uh roman gets is in the corner he's in, he's getting ready to do his big ooh ah, where you know he throws his arms up before the spear and when he throws his head back and looks up in the sky big e is standing there when he puts his head back and the crowd is ready i mean they're with this match they're with big e well and let me rephrase that. They are with Big E, but there's a good amount of fans who were like, we're the ones and they are, you can see the ones in the air and there is a good amount of just Roman fans. And I don't think they dislike Big E. I just think Roman is, is really like that guy right now. And you can tell, like I said, this, the energy and there are people, you could see the ones when he throws the one up, there's a lot of ones thrown up. Like people rock with Roman. And I actually thought, even though I thought, I, I think Biggie should have won. I thought Biggie gained a lot in this match by being able to not only kick out of a spear, which a lot of people can't say they have, 
Uh, you know, that's that's something in of itself because they've protected Roman and the spear. So him being able to kick out of that's a big moment. Him being able just to eat Superman punches and get up and just have these big type of spots where he's just superhuman for a minute. Those are the things that people will remember when he goes into his feud with Rollins and he eats a curb stomp and he's able to get up. Like those are the things that are going to continue with him. So the match ends and, you know, Roman gets the big victory. So I'm like, all right, word. Roman won. I was expecting Big E to win. So now I know for sure I'm about to get a, if you smell, and I didn't get anything except the end credits. A look at Roman's smug face one more time. Another one in the air. And I just got to enjoy some of the Pizza Hut pizza I ordered thanks to the Battle Royal. I, 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 the biggest surprise was that I didn't have anything to enjoy with my pizza. There was no rock promo, no rock bottom. He even, I, he even had on the tribal chief, uh, uh, the little, the necklace thing. And I was like, yeah, they're definitely setting up for the rock to come out and, and nothing. They gave you the Brock tease. Nothing happened. Like, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I feel like that was a little bit of a bait and switch. It really was. And it was a great main event. And Roman Reigns, I have to say, we've been back on the road for about four or five months now. And his main events are very formulaic. He would get the heat for a good 15 minutes and the babyface makes a great comeback. And somehow, some way, those fans wake up. They never turn on his matches, which is remarkable. You cannot say that two or three years ago with him being a babyface. They would revolt if he had that same formulaic match time and time again he's so over right now and he's got a fan base we're the ones i see the ones too they got the t-shirts they are so enamored with this dude even though he's a heel and that's the beauty of the character of roman reigns and that was the one saving grace regarding this main event that biggie was able to fire up to wake up a fan base that was kind of sleepy towards the end of the show but they had hopes they had high hopes that the rock Dwayne the rock johnson would appear at the show at the very last minute to give these fans something to be happy about that john cena pop at money in the bank an unforgettable moment this year in wwe and we got absolutely nothing <laughs> and the show went off the air as quickly as possible because you know those fans of brooklyn were pissed off at no rock appearance and this really comes down to WWE having an idea surrounding Survivor Series with anniversaries. Last year was the 30th anniversary of The Undertaker's debut at Survivor Series. And even in a goddamn Thunderdome with legends that magically appeared and disappeared just in time for The Undertaker's entrance, he got an ado last year at the Thunderdome. The Rock can't even send in a videotape message saying thank you for the love and support over the last 25 years, WWE. Not even a tweet on the screen saying thank you for 25 wonderful years. How can I possibly forget it? We get nothing. And the fact you tease and tease and tease all night long and you don't deliver. I don't give a solitary fuck if this dude shows up tonight at the Barclays Center. You're going to have <laughs> 2,000 people there at the minimum, maybe 25, 3,000 people. Because if he magically shows up on a red eye from Australia, from Young Rock, he shows up and it's a great moment. But hello, it's it's Survivor Series. That's what you teased all night long. But it comes down to this. 
You cannot be reliant on the rock schedule because that dude is booked and busy every single day. He's got projects everywhere. Netflix, Disney, Young Rock on NBC. He's got so many projects that he does not have time to dedicate to WWE. And maybe they thought they had him, but they didn't. But here's the one thing you don't do. You don't cock tease your fan base. You don't give them breadcrumbs. You don't give them teases of something that you know that you cannot deliver. Put up the tweet, put up a video and say he's thankful. He is very appreciative of this anniversary, but don't tease the fans as I had some people tweeting. I don't know if I should leave early because the rock might be here and he didn't show up. And if he shows up tomorrow, it's in front of less people. You are in the business of selling tickets. If you can't guarantee somebody being on the show, that's fine. Don't keep teasing. Don't keep advertising. Don't keep switching your goddamn card around and expect us to say, oh, here's a surprise. You built up those expectations and fans thought they were getting something and they didn't get it. And it's on WWE to stop false advertising because this concept of Survivor Series is already broken. Don't make it worse by advertising someone of the Rock's nature and he does not show up in the end. Am I mad about it? Not so much, but the fact you teased and you teased and you teased and you delivered nothing. That's an indictment on you being a shitty advertiser for something that never happened. First of all, I love this angry side right here. I think we should have more volatile uh, rants at WWE because they definitely deserve it after that. I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. I'm here for all of that. That was fantastic. Um, secondly, why not just have that guy just he couldn't send in a quick video like and this is the perfect opportunity to not only have Roman take a L because you could have the Rock's music play. The place goes nuts. Big E picks him up. Once we see Rock's not coming, we, you know, big ending, one, two, three. The crowd is still going crazy. We see The Rock on screen, and he's like, oh, yeah, we even have to say was just say, like, gotcha. Give him a wink. See you soon. Anything like See you soon, actually, would probably be what I would say. Something like that. And the place would go crazy. He doesn't have to show up. People are satisfied because we not only get a continuation of a story, Big E gets a big victory. Roman takes a pinfall loss. He, he's That invulnerability, that impenetrable armor takes a chink. And we get a, a big moment at Survivor Series. I, I think it, it's so simple what they could have asked The Rock to do. I don't know what the future plans are, but just, I mean, just even have him have cut a, a short video like that just for his 25th. It, it just seems like easy things that they could ask him to do. I don't know, man. I, I, I have a hard time really defending this particular instance because what a fantastic main event and you just left the people wanting more, but not in a good way. No. The Rock's booked. He's a busy dude. And this really goes down to how much longer can you rely on your legends that are very few and far between? John Cena is equally as busy as a Rock now. He's not going to walk through that door. His availability is very limited for what he can do. The Rock's is even more limited. And if he can't do Survivor Series, don't tease it. If he's going to do Nexus WrestleMania, you build towards that. But at this point, if you got anything to build to, at least it's Brock Lesnar. So you could have downplayed the Rock 
Brock's anniversary and then hyped up Brock being no longer indefinitely suspended. I guess Adam Pierce had a good day yesterday to say, let me get this dude his time back to work. At least do that something of value to give the to give fans something to go home happy about. And they love kind of eh, at the end of the night. And that's on WWE. You don't false advertise. You don't do that if you don't deliver. Don't do it when you don't have to. And, and you bring up Adam Pierce. A couple things about Adam Pierce and, and Sonya Deville. I, I, I was a big Sonya Deville fan when she first started out. I thought she was one of the best dressed in WWE. I thought she always looked pretty fly. Still think she does look pretty fly. I think she's got great fits. Uh, she's got great suit game. Those two have to be some of the most annoying characters on TV right now. And wasn't Adam Pierce on Raw last week saying, you guys have to win. And then he was on SmackDown saying, you guys have to win. And they're just both in the back, you know, chumming it up, saying how great the show is. Not a care in the world about who's winning, even though both shows have to win. And then, like you said, Adam Pearce all of a sudden woke up and decided not to piss in his Cheerios. So then he, he just had milk this morning instead and was like, yeah, I think I'll have Brock back. This breakfast is pretty good this morning. We, we're off on a good foot. Like, what is going on with the authority figures? Like, can we just, can I just have either, can we just go back to the cliched, either heel Adam Pierce or just get rid of them all together and just, let's just have the matches be announced and go, because I, I, I'm over Sonya Deville and Adam Pierce at this point. Yeah, and I like them earlier this year, but the fact that Adam Pierce has Team Raw in his pocket saying, I'm rooting for you guys, and I only want champions. But Rey Mysterio, despite you being a champion, you're no longer on the team. Austin Theory, get in there. He has no championships of any note in WWE. And I'm like, what? And then you know you're guilty. I'm not blaming Adam Pierce, the human being. I'm blaming Adam Pierce, the character right, who's right. got to go online and justify his actions on social media that still does not make a lick of sense. You run both shows. What is the motivation here? Sonya Deville, you work Mondays and Fridays. What is the motivation throwing your hat behind one team and not the other? As we mentioned a few, a few weeks ago, either you put one person on Raw to represent not the show, but USA Network, and you have Sonya represent Fox for SmackDown and call it a day because it makes a little bit more sense. But when you have to explain to me in a Twitter thread how this makes sense, no, it doesn't make sense. I mean, no, that, that, that's spot on. Like, it's so easy just to, even if you just want to do it for this one event and just say there's a bonus on the line, at least, like, it's that easy and it's done. Like, it's done. It's taken care of. We're like, all right, cool. One's in charge of one, one's in charge of the other. There's a bonus on the line. That's it. It would have taken 20 seconds of TV time to explain that. And they just, I, I don't know, man, the laziness on the little things, like, I don't know, man. I, I don't want to rag on the show too, too bad. I mean, it wasn't a terrible show, but there's just like stuff like that. Like, why not just explain that? And just, just handle that, take care of it. And then it's something you're not even talking about. No, and that really leads into our final grade regarding Survivor Series 2021, a show that was a mixed bag. You have to always give credit to the performers that put their hearts out there in the ring every single month. But to what end exactly, as this still remains the most meaningless pay-per-view on the calendar every single year, there's nothing on the line, no Warrior Rumble picks, no draft considerations, no trade options, no nothing, not even a bonus, according to Scott, not even a Christmas. Christmas bonus 
not even a bonus or better yet a no cut clause in your contract that's a big gift for me there you go if you if you want to keep it real like no don't cut me a no cut clause guarantee for being the sole survivor something even though we're trying to play into some stuff that's real unfortunately but that's where we are these days regarding what are the stakes for survivor series when there are no stakes of any note and it will all be forgotten about this time tomorrow night because an egg an egg is more important than Survivor Series and who wins for each team. And the final tally is Monday Night Raw 5, SmackDown 2. It's a so golden egg, by the way. So It's a golden egg. It's a golden egg. A golden, Not just any egg, golden egg. <laughs> a fake golden Cleopatra Fabergé egg. But despite that, Scott, what is your final grade for this year's Survivor Series? Uh, what are we doing? It's out of 10 letter grade. Letter grade. Let's okay. be fair. Uh, letter. Ah, man. Letter grade. I'm going to go with a. I'm gonna go with a C plus because I thought the first match was really good. I thought the main event was fantastic, and I really enjoyed the tag match with RK Bro and the Usos. The women's match I did not think was very good. The battle royal was not very good. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I'll give it a C plus. It wasn't a bad show, but it it just could have been so much better. I'm leaning on C minus because of false advertising and this entire pay-per-view, despite the hard work of everyone, meaning very little this day and age. And at this point, for the final pay-per-view of 2021, I want to old yeller Survivor Series officially off this calendar. I want it gone because there's nothing that you can do besides our options we offered on this show is going to change what this show doesn't mean, which is exactly nothing it was not a waste of time but it was a waste of ideas that you do not even think about ideas that could have gone to good use to make these matches mean something besides wearing a red and blue t-shirt and fighting add stakes to these matches and then maybe people won't do the wave and they won't cheer for a guy that's no longer in your fucking company but i digress Hey, I mean, what, what can we do when the their whole the whole game plan is just to advertise somebody they know not is not going to be there? And I mean, that that's what their game plan is. So they're not concerned with that. They got their money. They know what they're you know, they, they they're going to do what they're going to do, unfortunately. Yeah. And as you mentioned, guaranteed money. But at what cost? Because yes. yep. the fan base isn't guaranteed to stick with you. And you see that more and more every single week, the inability to sell tickets to Monday Night Raw tonight in Brooklyn. Good luck selling an egg as your hook to see who stole it heading into Red Notice on Netflix and not Peacock. But with that, it's time to put a wrap on this week's episode of The Wrap. I want to thank you guys for listening to us this week. We greatly appreciate it, but we'll be back. Scott and I in a third person will be back next Monday recovering from Survivor Series Thanksgiving and the week that was in WWE as we try to get down to what the hell happened to this egg between now and Monday Night Raw. But before we go, Scott, where can the fine people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at knee 4 marvelverse DC. That's the number four. Yes, and you can follow me at Lady Wrestling X on Twitter. I tweet about Monday Night Raw, NXT, AEW, Dynamite, and SmackDown every single, every other day, just about. Let's be honest. I tweet most days regarding all things WWE and AEW. So for Scott and for myself, have a fantastic Thanksgiving, and that's a wrap.